everyone. Good morning, and it's good to have you here this morning. And this morning, we have a reason to celebrate. The tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. Amen. Would you please stand?
Today we celebrate the glorious resurrection of Christ, away with fear and fears and troubles, united in wedlock with the eternal Godhead itself. Our nature ascends into the heaven of heavens. It would be sacrilegious to call our lives miserable. On the contrary, we are creatures on whom the angels, were they capable of it, would envy. Let us lift up our hearts to God. Jesus is risen. He is truly risen. Isn't that great news? That is great news. You go ahead and have a seat. Today we are here to uh, proclaim a message, and that is that life can begin again. And there's a sense in which our church is living proof of that. It was several years ago now that we moved out of a building that we were in in Joliet and moved into a school, and we began the process, hopefully, of being able to build a new home. And there was this recession in 2008, and all these things came together that kind of stalled things out. Stalled things out to the point that some of us who were dreaming kind of said, well, maybe a school is a great place to just do church from here and forever. And then some things started to shift and turn and change, and before you know it, dirt started to move. And here's where this story all comes together. It started to move a year ago today. Last Easter, or last year, this day, the earth started to move, and today the earth moves again. It moves as a stone rolls away, and Jesus comes out of the grave, and he is alive. So I'm so glad you chose to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with us today. I'm going to pray, and we're going to continue to worship. Our Father God in heaven, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins, to die so that we can have eternal life. Oh God, never let us tire of that beautiful fact. There are angels in heaven who would love to experience what we experience, redemption, a new beginning, a fresh start. Life can begin again. Help us to grasp that amazing message today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us.
Would you please stand and sing with us? No. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we stand here overwhelmed, God, and humbled by your greatness, by your glory, and by your love. God, that you would send your son as a bridge to us, that you would pursue us and make sure there was a way that we could spend eternal life with you, Lord, and holding nothing back but giving your son. We thank you so much for that, and we thank you for the hope that we have today because he is alive. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm going to be reading the story of the resurrection from John chapter 20, if you'd like to follow along. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken away the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and placed my hand into the wound on his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he looked and said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, 
You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. that is the truth that we've gathered here to celebrate today. Life can begin again. Life did begin again. A body that had been tortured and whipped, abused and despised, died. And then came back to life to live again for us. Today, new life is absolutely possible. For me, I grew up the oldest of four kids. The oldest. 
Did you miss that? I was the oldest of four kids. That's important to know. We oldest like to keep reminding all the other siblings that we're the oldest of the kids. We came first. Oldest tend to come out of the wound with uh, incredible instincts when it comes to parenting. We know how to run the show. The youngers call it being bossy, and there's probably some truth to that. In our house growing up, my mom and dad uh, gave us some chores. There were some things we had to do. We didn't do this for money. We didn't get paid. This was for the privilege of living at their house. That's just the way it worked. So we did them. One of them was to wash the dishes, which still amazes me that my mother would let us tend and under wash our dishes, but that's another story. We had no dishwasher. We were the dishwashers. We took care of that. And so we divided it up. Two kids would wash on one day and two the next day. Every other day, we washed the dishes. Well, as I said, as the oldest, I had these incredibly well-developed parenting skills. And so I decided it was important to teach my siblings a lesson one day. You see, um, there was a lot of bickering and a lot of fighting when we were washing the dishes. It just happened every time, you know, chattering up and back. And so I decided it was important for them to hear how childish they sounded and how petty they sounded while they were doing the dishes. We had a portable cassette recorder, and by portable I mean, you know, 1970s portable. It was not particularly small. I took a tape, a cassette, I put it in that recorder, and I hid it in the kitchen, and I hit record. I've only done this once in my life. I had never done it before. I've never done it since. But I'm so glad I did it on that particular night. My parents had this, uh, in the dining room, a corner hutch. And in that corner hutch is where we kept all the dishes that we don't use every day. You know, that's, that's where that stuff went. And for some reason, there was an item from the hutch that was out to be washed. So my sister took that item over to the hutch. She opened the door, and the next sound we heard on the tape was unforgettable. You see, apparently whoever put in the dishes the time before put them in in a rather precarious fashion. They, they were not quite as settled as they should be. And so, when she opened the door, the next sound you hear on the recording is crash, 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 and yes, another crash. It seemed to go on forever. It didn't stop. The whole set fell forward and smashed on the floor. One plate at a time, all over the floor, they were broken. It was my mom's china. Now, it wasn't an antique, but it was valuable. And she got it the day she was married. Smash, 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 smash. And then this eerie moment of silence, just listening. What do you think the next sound was on the tape? Can you imagine? It was my sister bawling. And what was she saying? It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. All those broken dishes and her knee-jerk reaction is not to say, I'm sorry. It's not to apologize or do something. It's, it's to proclaim her personal innocence. It is not my fault. I wish I had the tape. I don't. But I'm telling you what, it's etched in my memory forever. Crash, 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 crash. It's not my fault. A few weeks later, a few weeks back, we started looking at the beginning of the Bible. The very first four words, in the beginning, God, how it all started. That's the point of Genesis 1. It sets out a foundation 
for both the Jewish and Christian worldview. Everything didn't just happen. What you see and who you are happened on purpose. God did this. God made you. God has a purpose for your life. In chapter 2, the Bible recounts the story of creation once again, how how human existence came to be. The Bible said that, that God gave Adam an assignment. He was to name all the animals. And so he started naming. And as he's naming, he goes, there's Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo, and Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, and Mr. and Mrs. Mouse, and Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. He's noting the, noticing this pattern of a Mr. and Mrs., but there's only a Mr. Adam. Where's, where's Mrs. Adam? Where, where does she fit into this? It's the first time that God says something about his creation is not good. He, he says it is not good for man to be alone, and so he made him a partner. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She was to be called woman, for she was made from the rib of the man. The chapter ends with this incredibly intriguing verse. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were exposed, yet they were not embarrassed. They had no urge inside of them to cover up, to hide. You see, God is describing this incredible human state. And it's about more than standing alone without clothes on. He's saying that the two of them literally had nothing to hide from each other. Not a thing. They had nothing to hide from God. Now imagine this today. Imagine I asked you to come up front and stand right here completely naked. No, not unclothed naked. None of us could actually bear doing that. That would be really tough. But imagine being seen right now for who you really are, for all you've ever done, for everything that has happened in your life, all of it, standing here, completely exposed for everyone to see, and at the same time, not feeling an ounce of shame, and not because your conscience is is scarred, but because you're perfect, you're without fault. There's nothing to hide, no failures, no flaws. I suspect instead the verse about us would would read something like this. He stood there completely naked, and he was totally embarrassed. She stood there exposed, and she felt deep humiliation. Yet there they were, naked, and they felt no shame at all. Now what we do is we turn a page We turn a page to chapter 3, and we turn the page, the story starts to unravel. You see, at this point, Eve is tempted. She's tempted to say yes when God said she should say no. She's tempted to believe the serpent instead of the creator. And you know what she did? And in that moment, she ate the fruit, and she gave some to Adam, and he ate the fruit as well. And you know what the next verse after that says? It says the exact opposite of what you see on the screen. It says, now at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they took on this lame attempt of taking some leaves and trying to make clothing on it. Standing in their nakedness, they knew they were naked. They knew it. Not simply physically naked. For the first time, they had done something morally wrong. They had reason to hide. They had a reason to cover up, to not be seen. 
Now God comes to pay Adam and Eve a visit. This is his habit. He'd come to the garden in the cool of the day and he'd just enjoy his creation. He'd come to the garden and he'd enjoy a conversation. He'd enjoy friendship with his creation. That night, when God came walking, Adam and Eve were nowhere to be found. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Adam? He cries out. Now please understand this. God knows everything. God knows absolutely everything. He's not confused about Adam's whereabouts. Kind of reminds me of a game we used to play with our kids when they were little. You know, you'd walk into a room and, and, and you could see them clear as day. You knew where they were. Maybe you couldn't see them, but you could hear them breathing. Or you'd look and you'd see the curtains kind of moving and little feet underneath them. And you're looking and what do you do? You walk in and you go, where are you, Nate? Where are you, Nady? And, and you're calling out and he giggles. And you're like, yeah, you know exactly where you are. But you keep going. Where are you, Nady? Where are you, Nate? God's not trying to find Adam any more than I was trying to find Nate. God knows exactly where Adam is. God asked the question to find out if Adam knows where Adam is. Do you know where you are right now? Do you know that you're completely exposed no matter how hard you try to hide? Then come, they come out of the bushes and they make this admission. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And then the next part is where, if I can say it this way, the fun begins. God asks him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I forbid you to eat from? Did you go ahead and do that? And so what did Adam do? He took it like a man, right? He said, I ate the fruit. I know you said not to. But I did it, and I'm so sorry. What can we do about this? Yeah, that's not exactly what the Bible says, right? You know what Adam did? He did a great imitation of my sister. It's not my fault. Look at Genesis 3, 12. He says, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Adam does this double whammy. It's a genius little double whammy. It's the woman... The woman you gave me, Eve made the fruit salad. I never had fruit salad before you made her, you know. I was going along just fine here in the garden before she showed up. Not only is it her fault, God, it's your fault for giving me this gift in the first place. Blame. Blame. It's not my fault. It's Eve's fault. It's your fault, God. How many times do we get busted? And when we do, the first thing we do is scramble to find a scapegoat. We throw someone else under the bus. But what's worse, we blame God too. If you had not made me this way, I wouldn't want to do that. If you had not placed this desire in me, I wouldn't want to pursue it. If you had not put me in this situation, I never would have fallen for it. Well, I'd like to say Eve did better, but we know she didn't. She blames it on the snake. The serpent made me do it. Have you ever looked at your, your physical parents? Have you ever taken a look at your parents and in them um, you found some things you inherited from them? I was with my parents a little over a month ago and I'm, I'm kind of staring at them and thinking about, you know, my bloodline and all that sort of thing. I got my dad's eyebrows, which don't help on a day like this. I actually do have eyes. See, they're there. I mean, Yeah. I got his eyebrows. I got her body type. I got his tone of voice. 
And I got her love for certain kinds of food with lots of fat on it. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? Well, take a look at your parents in Genesis chapter 3. You know what you got from Mother Eve and Father Adam? You got an instinctive ability to reject responsibility for your failures and your faults. You got this thing inside of you that says, it's not my fault. And what you do is you point. You point at the people around you. You point at God. You blame anybody but yourself. We do not naturally own wrongdoing. We don't do it. In this way, we are less than honest with God. We hide from God. Like Adam and Eve in the bushes with that pitiful fig leaf outfit, we sit there hiding. We try to hide from God. And we're less than honest with God about our failures and our faults. We find someone else to blame rather than taking ownership. We minimize the damage rather than realizing fully what happened. We reject any responsibility. We push it off. But if we do take responsibility, it's in a token fashion because that's the polite thing we do, right? But we really don't mean it at all. We even blame God. God, if you hadn't made me this way. God, if you hadn't put me in this situation. It's your fault, God. It's your fault. Do you know what God has been looking for ever since Genesis chapter 3? Do you know what his desire is? He's been looking for a simple admission. He's been looking for a confession. It's my fault. I did it. I take full responsibility. When we get there, God can do something with that. And only when we get there can God do something with that. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. You know what that verse is saying? Long before we showed an ounce of potential, when we were absolutely dead in our sins, when we were helpless to do anything about it, God did something about it. Earlier in the same book, in Romans, the author, Paul, writes these words. He says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking after God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Look at that verse. Go ahead and look at it on the screen. Here's what that verse does not look like. Right? You can't put your name up there and say, except me. No one, the Bible says, no one does good. Not one. No exceptions. You know what God wants? He wants us to own our failures and own our faults. He wants us to own our sins. He does not want us to blame. He does not want us to hide. He doesn't want us to rewrite history. He wants us to simply admit it. God, I did it. I was wrong. I am wrong. I'm sorry. That's being honest to God. We started today with this video, with that beautiful line, life can begin again. Life begins again when we come to the end of it. When we, when we come to the end of our rope, when we come to the end of ourselves when we come to the end of our excuses, when we come to the end of our pointing and our blaming, 
I want you to watch something with me. These people tell the story in a way that's incredible and beautiful. And I think it really um, encapsulates well what God is trying to convey to us today. You. Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. Every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive... We're slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. And it separates us more and more.
I love you. And I did all of this to have a relationship with you. Will you follow me? Broken plates. It's not my fault. It's what we say time and time again. Why do we do that? Why do we defend ourselves when we know full well we broke the plate? Why do we do that? I I suspect it happens in part because of the view that we have of God. Have you ever seen one of these at a ball game? Guy standing, lady standing, holding up the John 3.16 sign. It's a pretty well-known verse. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screen. Let's all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a great verse. It's an amazing verse. It's what today is about. You might even know that verse, but you know the next one. Do you know John 3, 17? Beautiful words. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, we tend to think of God just as a harsh judge, someone out to catch us messing up so that he can throw the book at us, so he can bring down the hammer, so that he can punish us. We see him as arbitrary and capricious and harsh and mean. Maybe you grew up in a background where anything that bad, anything bad that happened to you uh, was viewed as punishment from God. You did this. You deserved this. You deserve the blame for this. True, we have faults and failures. True, we sin. And God cannot just ignore that. But the Bible also tells us that he doesn't have to just ignore it. He actually provided a solution to this. The Bible says we need to confess. Confession is a twofold word. Uh, One part, on one hand, confession is an admission. It's owning my wrongdoing. I confess my faults. I confess my failures. I confess my sins. I did that. I broke the plate. The other side of confession, though, is a statement of truth. There are these classic theological confessions, like like the Westminster Confession, for example. It's not a list of all the sins everybody committed in Westminster. That's not what was going on. No, it's a document that professes the foundational beliefs of a group of people. God calls us to both kinds of confession. On one hand, he calls us to confess our sins. We admit we've done them. Just admit it. Own it. Stop blaming. Stop hiding. Stop whitewashing the truth. The other kind of confession, though, is a statement of conviction. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is who he said he was. I confess that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for me to pay for my sins so that my life can begin again. Paul again writes in Romans 10, if you confess, if you admit with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Life can begin again. It, it, it will begin again if we decide to stop hiding and faking, if we decide to stop blaming 
and excuse making. It can begin again if I'll admit my faults and failures are my faults and my failures. It can begin again if you'll confess, believe that Jesus is the only one who can pay for those sins. You can't do it yourself. We talk, as we talk about confessing, I want to put a conversation on the screen. You, have, you don't have to say these exact words. There's no magical formula about them. But the words contain the element of everything we need in order to begin a new life with God. Here are the words. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit I am weaker and more sinful than I ever before believed. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. I thank you for paying my debt, bearing my punishment, and offering forgiveness. I turn from my sins and trust you as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. I want to provide you a moment, just a moment to be quiet. And if you've not yet done this, this is what Easter is all about. It's not about the eggs and the chocolate and the meal that we'll enjoy later. It's about the relationship that you can have with God through Jesus. It's about admitting you broke the plate. Finally, just admitting it and saying, and you know what? I can't fix the plate myself. Someone has to fix it for me, and his name is Jesus. So I'm going to give you a moment of silence to look at the words and know them. And you know what? Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're listening to this and going, man, 30 minutes later, I'm supposed to commit my life to Jesus. In your folder, you'll find this exact same set of words. Maybe later tonight, like the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared, you'll spend time later tonight quiet, alone with your thoughts, and Jesus will be there with you as you pray those words to him and trust him as your forgiver and your leader. I'll give you a moment to be quiet. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we thank you for your great mercy on us. We're sinful, and your Father knew we needed a Savior. Today, many of us already trust you, and we thank you that we realize we can't fix the plate. Only you can do that. But we admit we did it. We broke it. Others are still thinking about it, and there are still others right now that have realized today this is the only way to God. And they came home, and we're grateful for that as well. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for coming and dying, being separated from your Father, and then being reunited once again so that we could have eternal life. And we pray this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, our, our team is going to come up, and uh, they're going to be leading us in a, in a song that puts together everything we've talked about today. Because we truly do believe that God is in the work of making all things new. Your life can absolutely begin again through Jesus. So I want you to listen to this song with Easter ears.
Because it's amazing, if you listen to it with Easter ears, here's what you're going to find. Easter has written all, this song, all over this song. The grave has lost. The grave has absolutely lost. The old is gone, and yes, you and I can have new life and a fresh start. And that all comes from a man, and his name is Jesus. Why don't you stand with me and we'll sing together.
I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to guess in a group this size, at least a couple of you walked in the room today saying, I am so sick of feeling stuck. I am so sick of same song, second verse. It never, ever, ever changes. My life is always the same. And we're here today to say it doesn't have to be that way. Your life can begin again by trusting in Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your lives. And I hope that if you haven't done that this morning, you will certainly take advantage of that opportunity sometime today to come into that place that you can say, everything truly is new in my life. Have a seat, please. Our servers are going to come, and they're going to be receiving the offering. Again, we just want to say thank you to you for coming and investing this hour with us today. We hope that as you've been with us, uh, the message has gotten across clearly. And, um, and maybe you still have some questions. We'll, we'll talk about what to do about that in just a few moments. We have uh, some things coming up in the next couple of weeks that we want you to know about. One of them is uh, where our study is going to be going. What are we going to be looking at on Sunday mornings? And we talked about the fact that, you know, our grads, we're going to celebrate our, graduate, our, our high school graduates on Mother's Day. Very often we end up doing a celebration with them a little bit later in the summer. Before you know it, they're already running around and whatever. We thought, what a great combination. Let's just do that on Mother's Day. When Shelly graduated, my daughter, um, I brought her on the platform and we actually did a, a half hour of just having a conversation with her about what happens now. If I did that to my son, Nate, he would melt. It, it just would not go well. So I thought rather than one time, we'll, we'll do five. Not with him on the stage. But for the next five weeks, what we'd like to do is talk about some of the areas in life that we really tend to forget about, but we need to take with us through the rest of our days. So watch this clip. It'll give you an idea of where we're going. So next week, we'll start in by talking about this lost treasure, uh, the word honor, what it means to truly be a person of honor and to honor other people. And if you don't have a church home, we'd love it if you come back and, and join us and continue in that study. So I said that as we close out today, we wanted to help you to just kind of pull everything together. In order to do that, everyone, who, as we leave today, you'll be getting a, a booklet, nice, small, just a handful of pages called The Story. 
And it goes through and describes everything we've talked about today, literally from the beginning of creation to the end of time and how you fit into that story. So you'll get one of those today. Go ahead and read it. There's a website attached to it that you can go ahead and learn more about how you can have a relationship with God. Our Southfield big kids, so these are the kindergarten to fifth graders, they're receiving a, a little bracelet on the way out today too that still tells the story of God and their story, how they can have a relationship with him. It comes with a little card. And so sometime later today, if you have a child that, at that age, go ahead and pull them aside and say, hey, do you have the card? And read it together and learn more about what a relationship with God looks like. I suspect their questions will be incredibly challenging for you and cause you to go on a search to understand better your own relationship with God. So, service is done. You're on your way now to go enjoy a ham or whatever your Easter tradition is. I had a friend in one of the kids in my youth group in Florida. Their family actually had, I think, like possum and raccoon for Easter, which I never quite understood. But anyway, whatever your thing, we hope you enjoy it. We're actually going today to spend uh, Easter dinner with some new family. You see, my son this past week decided to keep a little family tradition going. Uh, when Kim and I were engaged, we got engaged in Canada. And this past week, he was on vacation with his girlfriend's family and got down on a knee in the snow and offered her a ring. And believe it or not, she said yes, and I have video proof. So after he did it, after he did that, we were talking to my mom and my dad, and they said, hey, you know what, 54 years ago today, we were engaged as well. So kind of a cool way to pull it all together. It was April 1st, which explains why Riley kept saying, really, really, are you for real, are you serious? But anyway, so if you catch them today, make sure you congratulate them. I'm going to pray, let's stand, and we'll be on our way. Father God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice for our sins. I pray that we will appreciate it all the more as we begin to understand more deeply the depth of your grace and your forgiveness. The fact that you do not want us to simply uh, push away the idea or reject the idea that we broke the plate, that we don't want to, that, that, we're, that we're not supposed to hide, but that we're supposed to just come clean in your presence and say, yes, I did it, and I can't fix it, but Jesus can, and I I want Jesus to be the one to fix the brokenness in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for Easter. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Enjoy your resurrection day.